Welcome to another episode of Bible Centered with Victor Jackson. We are continuing with Matthew chapter 9. I want to apologize to all of our listeners uh, for the last episode uh, shutting off abruptly. Uh, I had some te- technical difficulties and also want to apologize. I wasn't able to uh, upload uh, our episode yesterday, as I told you guys uh, a few days ago, about about the last two weeks, uh, I've been really um, under the weather. Um, thankfully, I feel myself coming out of it, uh, drinking more fluids, getting some exercise. But I want to apologize to all of our listeners for the last episode uh, ending uh, abruptly and not being able to post um, yesterday. Uh, I'm coming out of it. Um, It's been about two weeks, uh, which has made it difficult, Um, but I'm, I'm feeling better with fluids and some exercise. And uh, definitely keep me lifted. But it's a privilege to have the opportunity to share this word with you. Thank you for tuning in. Let's go to Matthew chapter 9 and verse 27. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to him, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith be it done to you. And their eyes were open, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one... See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame throughout all that district. And as they were going away, behold, a demon oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He cast out demons by the prince of demons. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Um, We wrapped up verse 26 um, a few days ago with the story of Jairus and uh, Jairus' daughter and the woman with the issue of blood. And how Matthew is emphasizing the the helplessness that is within 
um, their customs and the and how the religious system at that time was falling short of his of its intention. Jairus is ruler of the synagogue, but he cannot heal his daughter with those rituals. The one with the issue of blood cannot find hope or solace in that religious system. So she is forced to turn to Jesus. She spent all that she had and the system left her empty. Jairus did all he could, but the system couldn't heal his daughter. Both of them were forced to come to Jesus. And as, as I mentioned, Jairus had a desperation because while the woman, while Jesus was on his way to his house, the woman interrupted his journey to get healed. And Jairus said within himself, listen, you can get a touch from him if you want, but I'm taking him home with me. You can touch him on Sundays and Wednesdays if you want, but my goal is to bring him home with me because I need Jesus not only to heal my daughter, I need him to change my, my family life. Jairus's life was so affected by the the system that uh, these minstrels were being paid to have a burden, being being paid to have compassion, as the ancient Near Eastern custom was, as the Jewish custom was. Rather, they would pay professional mourners to weep when someone cried and Jesus had a real burden and this was just a reflection of that system it was all they they would they would make long prayers for money uh, however money you gave that's how long the prayer would be the system was corrupted and Jesus was bringing back a purity where he cast out those that were and then dated with the ritual so he could work his power. And when he healed her, he didn't expect anything in return. It was just coming from a kingdom principle. Matthew is detailing in Matthew 9 the superiority of Jesus' presence in Jesus' kingdom to the, the customs and rituals and the systems of that day. Superior to the scribes, the Pharisees, the disciples of John, and the, the systems of, of, of religion that was thriving in that day. Verse 27, and when Jesus When Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. This is an incredible 
incredible point that Matthew is making. While the scribes are complaining, saying, who can forgive sins but God only? While the Pharisees are complaining that he's eating with publicans and sinners. The Bible says that there were two blind men that followed him, crying, have mercy on us, son of David. This, uh, I'm excited to get into this because what, what Matthew is highlighting is that those on the outskirts of society, such as these blind men, that were not accepted, that were not a part of the in crowd, that was really considered inferior because of they, their debilitating problem, they cannot see. And look what Matthew does here, that these two blind men followed him. These two blind men followed him. Crying aloud saying, have mercy on us, son of David. The, the blind men called Jesus the son of David. This is a messianic claim. This is proclaiming that this is the, 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 the Messiah, the anointed one. So they, they are recognizing his messianic role. And look what Matthew is showing here. These two blind men could see Jesus for who he was more than the Pharisees and the scribes who could physically see. See, the two men are physically blind but they could spiritually see. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they can physically see, but they are spiritually blind. Oh my. What, what he's showing here is that these people may be cut off from society, but they have more insight to the kingdom than the scribes which study the law. Because they recognized him by his messianic role and identity saying, son of David, as they appeal to mercy. Now, they, they cannot see physically, but they have spiritual eyes. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they can see physically, but they are spiritually blind. And Matthew is highlighting the sensitivity that people on the outskirts had. And they had more sensitivity than those that were on the inside of the religion, Jewish religion of that day. That they were so bogged down with the systems that they couldn't see. But those on the outskirts can see. 
And and as I address, sometimes proximity can breed blindness. Where when you're so close to someone, you cannot see their greatness. And sometimes it takes a stranger on the outside to recognize your greatness before they recognize your greatness. It's like you having a child and you're holding it and you do not recognize its growth because you're with it every day. But when grandma comes to visit or when your parents come to visit, they say, my, your child has grown. And you're like, really? Because why? You don't notice because what? Proximity breeds blindness. It's like you starting a company, you know, um, selling socks and, and all of your family and friends think, you're, you're a joke. They're not investing, but you're working hard. Then all of a sudden, a celebrity puts a picture of them wearing your socks, and your business blossoms and grows. And you always had that greatness in that quote unquote sock company. But proximity bred blindness. They didn't expect anything great to come from their house. And many times they don't recognize it until someone on the outside recognizes it. Matthew is showing the Jews that the outsiders had a clue, but the insiders were blind. And the kingdom is where the blind men could be more, have more spiritual insight than those that can see. Proximity can breed blindness. The, 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 the ears, the people's ears have become dull of hearing. And, and it doesn't say there would be a famine of the word. It says that it would be a famine of the hearing of the word where people will, will senses will be numb to God's commandments. But but somehow these two blind men followed him. They they used they used two 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 senses. They they used their ears. Two things they used. They used their ears and they used their, their voice. If you remember the teaching I did on the podcast on living on what's left. I, I talked about how how the those blind men, they used the senses they had left to bring them to Jesus. So the blind men couldn't see, but they could hear. And they used the senses they had left to bring them to Jesus. They couldn't see, but they still had a voice. And they used what they had left to bring them to Jesus. And I made the argument that you have enough left to bring you closer to Jesus. 
But these blind men, they recognize him by his identity when the Pharisees and scribes do not recognize it. They said, have mercy on us. Anytime you see the title son of David, it's always a reference to his messianic role in the flesh. And when he was coming to the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus saith unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this. And they said unto him, Yea, Lord. Again, they recognize him as the Lord, as the Curios, which is Jehovah. They recognize him not only by his messianic role in Son of David, but they recognize him as God when they say, Yea, Lord. Yes, Jehovah. The, remember, Curios can be translated as Master, Sir, or Jehovah. Context determines meaning. They just recognized him as the son of David. That's his humanity. Now they confess his divinity. Yes, Jehovah. The God-man. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were open and Jesus told them, saying, see that no man know it. But they, when they were departed, spread abroad his fame into all the country. Now, Jesus told them not to tell anybody yet because he understood the more popular he was the more it would attract opposition and he couldn't go to the cross too early he was trying to be strategic when it came to timing But these blind men couldn't keep their mouths shut. They began to preach everywhere and speak everywhere on what Jesus had done for them. The Bible says in verse 32, as they were going away, behold, a demon oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute spoke. And the multitudes marveled, saying, it was never so seen in Israel. Jesus has authority over demonic spirits. Demonic spirits that, that try to, that, that, that silence God's people. And Jesus cared for the blind and he cared for those possessed by devils, and he used his authority to heal them. People were getting delivered. People were getting set free. Lives were being transformed. They said, we've never seen anything like this in Israel. This has never happened in the system. This is something distinct. This is something different. 
This is something distinct. This is something different. And in verse 34, it says, and the Pharisees said, he, he cast out devils by the prince of devils. They're looking for any way to discredit his ministry. They have a problem with him saying he forgives sins. They have a problem with him, with him sitting down with Republicans and sinners. Now they have a problem with demons being cast out. But uh, in one of the other gospels, he says, listen, if I, if I cast out these devils uh, because of um, of of Beelzebub, the prince of devils, he says, who do your sons cast them out by? They were trying to, to get the crowds back to them, so they were trying in their best way to discredit to discredit Jesus' ministry. They were trying their best to discredit his, his ministry. And they're using every angle they can. They're saying you're too spiritual when you say you can forgive sins. They're saying you're too carnal because you're sitting down with pilgrims and sinners. And now they're, they're saying now, you, now you're from the devil because people from the devil are being... Uh, being delivered. So somewhere you got to get delivered from all all the accusations. That, that's something that we should learn about Jesus. Jesus understood how to do the will of God in the midst of accusations and presumptions. Because people's own hearts will project something on you that they are. You ever did something nice and then someone accused you and it, it's because they're, they're showing their own heart. Jesus showed a, a resolute discipline to keep helping people and keep loving people no matter what accusations came his way. He still helped people. Don't allow people to push you into a corner. I mean, people can paralyze you when they're trying to project their own motives upon you. People can, can paralyze you with their own opinions and own ambitions and their own accusations. And I, I, I remember um, uh, a, a time where in, anything that we did to help, it, it was always going to be perceived negatively. And in our humanity, we just want to be like, you know what, I'm just not going to help anymore because, you know, because I'm, I'll keep being accused of, of, you know, you know, personal ambition or personal things like that, and I'm just not going to help anymore. But that's exactly what the enemy wants you to do. 
He wants you to be so afraid of what people think that you don't do kingdom things. You have to learn to do God's will even in the midst of accusations and misunderstanding. You, you get blessed in your business or you get blessed in your ministry or you get blessed in your life. The first thing people start saying to you, oh, 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 you're, you're too big for me now. You're, you're, too, you're too big for me now. They want you to feel guilty for being great. And so what do you say? Oh, no, no, I'm still the same. Oh, no, I'm still the, I, I'm still the same. You see that? You're feeling guilty for having having a new house, a new vehicle, a new a new ministry, a new opportunity, a new business. You feel guilty. And so you have to learn as Jesus did to do the kingdom, do God's will no matter how it's interpreted, no matter how people respond. That's the encouragement that we can take from this text. The consistency and the compassion of Jesus. Verse 35. Jesus went in throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. He, he was teaching and he was preaching and he was healing every sickness and every disease. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Uh, I preached a message years ago called the forgotten anointing. And I talked about how Jesus was teaching and he was preaching and he was healing every sickness and every disease. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted. And I bring out the point here that that weariness is not sickness. And weariness is not a disease. He healed every sickness and every disease, but he was moved with compassion when he saw them tired. Oh my goodness. I feel the Holy Ghost here. That, that, he was teaching, he was preaching, he was healing every sickness and every disease, but there were still people that were tired that were following him. And they were doing the best that they could to keep up. And he, he confronted their weariness with his presence. He wasn't moved with compassion while he was teaching, preaching, or healing. He was moved with compassion 
when he saw people that were tired. They were tired and aimless. They were tired and aimless. They were like sheep having no shepherd. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know where to go. I told you the word multitude, it literally means a disorganized crowd. And they're, they just feel something when they're walking with him. And they're so tired. They needed an encounter. They needed an encounter with his presence. I'm speaking to people listening that are that are tired. I'm speaking to people that are listening that have been weary. You've been weary with the struggle. You've been weary with the day-to-day. You've been weary with the nine-to-five. You've been weary. You've been working the same job for the past five years, the past 20 years, the past 30 years, and, and you have been weary. You have been worn down. You've been worn down in ministry. You've been worn down uh, because of the circumstances of life. You've been worn down. You're doing the best that you can to follow Jesus, but you're tired. And Jesus doesn't condemn you for being tired because you are human. We are we are inferior beings to his majesty. He, he neither slumbers, slumbers nor sleeps. He's the only one that cannot get tired. But we, in our human frailties, we can get weary. We can get tired even while we're doing our best to follow him. These crowds They were tired, but they were doing their best to follow him. And they're watching him heal every sickness and disease, but but their weariness needed an encounter with his presence. Their weariness needed to be confronted with his love and with his compassion. And he doesn't condemn or judge people that are tired he he puts his undivided attention on it and he has compassion some some of you listening you're, you're tired when you wake up you're tired when you go to bed you're tired when when you go to church you're tired when you leave church you're tired you're tired with your kids you're tired on the job you're you're you're, you're weary you're stressed out in this day and age has been a, a, a an overstimulation uh, with the devices and 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 the dopamines and and you're just weary you're just worn out and Jesus doesn't doesn't beat you over the head and say what's the matter with you get it together you're lazy you you you're weary no he takes his time his undivided attention and he has compassion when you see people weary on their journey following after him. He doesn't show his compassion in this text by by only teaching or preaching or healing. But when he saw people that were fainting, doing their best to follow him, doing their best to follow him while dealing with trauma, he had compassion. Doing their best to follow him while dealing with betrayal, he had compassion. Doing their best to follow him when they don't know where, where to go, when they don't know what to do, 
he has compassion. He he is a compassionate God. He is a compassionate God. He's a compassionate God. For those of you that are tired, take a deep breath. God is God is wanting to breathe on on your weariness. God is wanting to breathe on your weariness. God doesn't get mad at you for not having strength. He confronts you with his compassion. He confronts you with his compassion. And he draws his undivided attention to these crowds. So they're like sheep having no shepherd. You know what that, that means? That means he, he wants... He wants the comfort. ESV, it says that they were harassed and helpless. They, 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 they were helpless. God cannot pass by a broken heart without attempting to mend it. He cannot pass by a wounded soul without seeking to restore it. They were harassed and helpless. They they fainted. They were tired. They were like sheep having no shepherd. That's how I felt years ago whenever I went to Minneapolis during the tension of the world in 2020. The people were like sheep having no shepherd. They were aimless, looking for direction. This is this is what provoked me to come to Orlando. This is what provoked me to come to Orlando because there's a bunch of people from so many nations that just are aimless, that are tired, and that are scattered, that need a shepherd. We have a little over 30 different nationalities in our church. And God has entrusted with me the responsibility to be their shepherd. To be their shepherd as I'm staying in close proximity to Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd. He is the chief shepherd. I'm just working under him to help lead and guide his people because there's people that are tired and weary and fainting and helpless and harassed that are looking for guidance, looking for someone to care enough to take time out of their busy schedules and be moved with compassion as the heart of Jesus is to those that are weak then he says to his disciples the harvest 
truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send for the laborers into his harvest. He says, listen, there's a lot of needs out there. The laborers are few. And it's amazing. He instructs them to pray for laborers. And then when you go to Matthew, uh, in the next verse, Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, which we'll get into tomorrow, the Bible says, and he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. So listen to this. This is powerful. He instructs them to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into his harvest. And then in the next verse, he sends them forth to be laborers. That's that 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 that's amazing to me. He they he says, All right, I want you to start praying for people to come and meet the need. And while they're praying for someone to come and meet the need, they become the need. They become the person that meets the need. He says, I want you to get this on your radar. I want you to start praying that the Lord of the harvest will send forth laborers into his harvest. And then the next verse, he sends them forth as laborers into his harvest. That's what's powerful. I need you to get such a burden where you start praying, God, send someone to do something, send someone to do something. And what's going to happen is you are going to become the answer to your own prayer. When you get so burdened that you become the change, you can pray for changing your city. You can pray for changing your church. You can pray for change in your state. You can pray for change in your nation. You can pray for change in your world. And you can feel so burdened about it where you become the change. And I remember praying over and over after I went to Minneapolis, after the death of George Floyd and prayed for police officers and protest, protesters. And as I'm praying for them with compassion, loving on them, spending time with them, I said, God, we need more churches. We need more churches. We need more churches. God, we need more churches. We need more churches. And God starts speaking to me. Why don't you plant a church? And stop waiting for somebody else to plant a church to do something. Why don't you do something? And you can get so burdened praying over God to do something that he will start dealing with your heart to do something. Nehemiah was a cupbearer. Nehemiah was a cupbearer, but he was so burdened that the walls of Jerusalem were broken down that he became a builder. God turns a cupbearer into a builder because of a burden. And this is, this is the kingdom. This is the kingdom because he wants us to pray so intensely that we become the answer to our prayer. God, do something in the city. God, we need more pure people. We need more pure people in your kingdom. And God says, well, why don't you work start being the change and being pure? 
We need, we need more churches. Well, why don't you become the church planter? We need more people that have compassion. But why don't you start walking in that compassion? To change the world, it starts with changing yourself. And as you pray, you will begin to take on the attributes needed to affect. Anytime you want to change the world, you start by changing yourself. What you want to see in the world, that's what you need to reflect. And as they begin to pray for the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into his harvest, he sends them forth. Isn't that amazing? As they're praying for laborers, they become the laborers. And, and so look at what you're burning about and what you're praying for, and you're going to see that God's dealing on with you to become that. You be the change. You have the power within you to be the change in the world. You have the power within you to be the change in the church. You have the power within you to be the change. And so you're going to see the disciples not only take on the teachings of Jesus, but now they start going to teach it. You're going to see this in the next chapter that they are propagating this. And, and Matthew is showing some incredible uh, things because there are 12 tribes of Israel and who were supposed to change the world and reach all nations. But what God is doing is he's getting 12 disciples to, to change the world and reach all nations. That's the thing about it. But we don't, if we don't do our, our task, you know, God can just move on and find someone else to complete it. The Bible says that Israel was supposed to come to the Lord and reach all nations, but they were, weren't, they were rebelling. And so the Bible says that he started using the Gentiles to provoke Israel to jealousy. That's what it says. It says he he, he used uh, the Gentiles. He's using the Gentiles, everyone that's not a Jew, to provoke them to jealousy. And 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 it says it in Romans eleven verse eleven. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation is coming to the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. When, when Because they weren't doing their mission, God went to uh, uh, the Gentiles who knew nothing about Jehovah and, and he's going to give them the gospel. And they're going to be zealous serving Jehovah, who is, who is Jesus, the express image of the invisible God. 
And the Jews are going to be like, hey, hold on, that was our God first. But what we're seeing here is that there's just a transitional element happening in, in Matthew that they received for nine chapters the word. Now they're about to go give it. He's preparing them to be apostles. He, 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 he is the first time we're going to see them called apostles. And apostles just means to be sent. They took on the teaching as disciples, and now they're being sent forth to 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 teach and to teach and propagate those changes. The world's going to be changed when we become the change. We need to reflect the change that we want to see in the world. They prayed for laborers, and while they were praying, they became laborers. Become that change today. Matthew is setting the stage for transformation. And we're going to get into the disciples' mission, how they were instructed to go first to the house of Israel before they go to the Gentiles. I pray that this is a blessing. Looking forward to speak with you tomorrow. God bless.